It's Wednesday, March 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, Aaron Bush in the house. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Chris. We're going to dip into the Fool mailbag. We will get to Spotify's battle with Apple. I want to start real quick, though, with Aurora Cannabis. Shares of Aurora Cannabis up 10% this morning, and that's because the company has named Nelson Peltz to be a strategic advisor. And for those unfamiliar, Peltz, longtime activist investor, a lot of experience in the consumer goods space. He's on the board of directors at Procter and Gamble, Mondelez, Wendy's. I'm I'm less interested in what you think about Aurora Cannabis, although feel free to weigh in on that. I'm more interested in how you view activist investors because I saw this story this morning and I immediately applied a positive reaction to this situation because because of Peltz's experience in consumer goods. Um, I thought, oh, you know what? That's a good move by Aurora Cannabis. Yeah, so I think for Aurora, it's better for them to have Nelson Peltz than not have him. But I, I'm not sure how big of a deal it is for them. So they, they're a medical cannabis seller. They have lots of different partners. Um, so already, even though they don't have that much sales, they kind of already have the makings of what like a large conglomerate would look like. So it makes sense why um, he's coming in. But but I do feel like people are overplaying this. It's really just like the mix of cannabis pelts that is you know <laughs> causing causing noise. But I mean, really, just coming on as a strategic advisor isn't that big of a deal. I think he has some options. But if he really believed. Um, and the upside for the stock right now, which it's a ten billion dollar valuation, it's trading at about like a hundred times sales. I think he would he would just be buying the stock instead of just options. So I think that says something about Aurora. Um, but yeah, on the activist front, I think that's an interesting question. I I definitely do think that activists play a role in helping more legacy companies um, improve their efficiency, and you see that a lot with conglomerates. Interestingly enough. I don't actually pay that much attention to activists or care all that much because I spend most of my time looking at internet businesses, and those tend to um, lend themselves less to what would make an activist um, get involved. Something like eBay is kind of like the obvious counterexample, be because they really like they turned into a conglomerate of right. all sorts of different things, and so in some ways it really wasn't that different from a large. Consumer-facing conglomerate of like goods, um, but I think you know when it comes to software, when it comes to marketplaces, there isn't that much that an activist can do. So, I, I don't think activists will play as much of a role um, in internet companies as they have in like the physical world-based companies. So you haven't been in a situation where you're looking at the companies in your portfolio and a news item pops up that you know. Activist investor Joe Smith or Jane Smith has suddenly, you know, taken a an eight percent stake in you. You haven't been in that situation yet. Yeah, well, I think it has happened, um, and when it happens to one of the companies that I own, I am definitely interested. Yeah. <laughs> right? You know, if like Carl Icahn comes storming in trying to trying to stir some noise, of course it's worth looking at. And uh, you mentioned this before taping, but John Malone, like he's not really an activist by a traditional sense. He's just like an epic deal maker. Whenever right. he makes Moves and he's covered a lot of the entertainment spectrum over the years. Yeah, it's worth paying attention to to what he's doing and watching because it probably points towards um, where the future of entertainment is going. Um, so I do think it is worth looking at, but I don't really think about it until it 
pops up in my portfolio. All right, let's move on to Spotify. Uh, the company filed a complaint against Apple with the European Commission's antitrust regulators, claiming that Apple Music has an unfair advantage over rivals. Uh, CEO Daniel Ek uh, published a blog post today saying that Apple's control of its App Store deprives consumers of choices and puts unfair restrictions and fees on competitors. I. I before we get to your thoughts, I'll just say that sure. I'm unsurprised by this story. I'm unsurprised <laughs> that Daniel Eck feels the way he does. Um, and um, you know, I haven't seen a, a response from Apple yet, but I'm, I'm sure their lawyers are working on one. Yeah, so I think he's right for the most part. Um, I, I do think that Apple should be able to have its own music app, and in some ways, just because it. It owns the entire ecosystem. That app is at an advantage, and and in some ways that is okay because it's like any other like private labeled good. It's a private labeled app, but when it comes to restricting what other apps can do and really prioritizing your own app over others, and part of the the antitrust issue with Apple, and this applies not just to Apple, but like we go through all of these different tech companies and, and talk about their antitrust issues, but but for Apple in particular, yeah, I do think. Think that we will see antitrust issues emerge with the App Store because they take a 30% cut of every single transaction. I don't think they probably should take a cut of every single thing that happens. But furthermore, when they start imposing rules that stop companies from linking to outside websites where they can then do payments. There, um, once Apple starts imposing rules that like limits what those companies are flexible of doing outside of its ecosystem, that is like the purest sign of a monopoly, and that is something where I think regulators should um, should should get involved with. And I do think that that affects Spotify to some degree, but it's not just them. Well, and. You know, Spotify filed in the EU because that's where the company is based. It also happens to be the same place where what was it last year? Was it a five billion dollar penalty against Google? Yep. Yeah. So, if you're going to do it anywhere, it's probably a good place to start. It is, and it also helps in the in the case that you know that's where Spotify is based. So they you know they're they're covered from that standpoint. But um, so let's go through a couple of the others because the, I mean this is. Look, our proximity here at Full Global Headquarters to Capitol Hill is such that maybe more so than other parts of the country, we're aware of the noise from Capitol Hill and the noise lately with respect to big tech from both sides of the aisle, as they say. Oh yeah, is big tech is too big? Yeah, and. Yeah, I don't want to get political, and I don't even think this has to get political. I think I applaud that that there are politicians who are willing to bring this up and have the hard conversations of what does a modern internet-based monopoly look like? Because it is very different from the monopolies of old. But I do think that they are missing the point in a, in a couple key ways. And then I can talk about a couple of the other companies. But but one way they're missing the point is just overgeneralizing tech. Like tech is not an industry. Like like all of these different large companies, they compete with each other in some ways, but like fundamentally they're very different businesses. Amazon is retail. Apple sells like Phones and tablets, um, you know, Google is search, Facebook is social media. These companies are all different, and they shouldn't be 
thought of in the same exact way. Um, second, yeah, the monopolies of today are different than they have been in the past. Standard Oil was a supply-side monopoly. They owned all the supply, and consumers had no choice but to go with them. That is bad for consumers. But today, you look, the reason why Google, the reason why Amazon, Facebook, they're so popular is because they use technology to create the best solution for consumers, and consumers chose them. People can still go to Bing. People can still go to Walmart and and deal with e-commerce. No one is stopping them. Um, so so it's. I think it has to be less about um, just the fact that they have so much market share, and it has to be more about looking at the particular actions that they take and deciding whether or not it is best for consumers or otherwise. Um, so. So I think those are the big main things, but they are right about some things. There, like there should be probably limits placed on acquisitions. They, we need to look at the specifics, like we just talked about with Apple. Um, I, I think just if you go look at the proposals that have been made, we can start with with Alphabet and Google. I think Elizabeth Warren recently called for them to separate their ad business from their search business. Um, which essentially just means like stripping out DoubleClick, which they acquired a long time ago, which frankly makes no sense. Um, because the business model for search is advertising. I was going to say that sounds like it would maybe kill is overstating it, but it sounds like it would seriously impair the business. Yeah, like like what would the business of search be if you're to strip the ad business away from it? Would it just be going back to the same like banner ads of 20 years ago? Like <laughs> like the, like this business model is what is best for consumers. Um, I think, however, when it comes, you can dig into the nuance and look at things like when. Google places their own results to their own sites above above others. In some ways, you could say, "Hey, that actually is better for the consumer because they know exactly what to give them and they own what they can give them." But um, is that anti-competitive? I think the answer is yes. the The EU has determined that it is that way, but I think there are a lot of individual cases that need to be um, worked through. We talked about Apple, um, Amazon. I think. They're calling the proposal. I was surprised the proposal wasn't to split off AWS. It was to split off the marketplace business from like the core retail business. And so the marketplace business is like the third-party sellers versus the first-party sellers. Um, and again, that doesn't make sense because half of what Amazon sells is first-party stuff, where they they buy it wholesale from the suppliers and sell. To consumers, and the only reason why the third-party suppliers are there in the first place is because Amazon's done such a good job, like bringing all of these consumers here. Um, so I don't think that should be split up. But the issue, though, um, that they actually just changed, but I think there are other things that probably need to change too. Is Amazon essentially forced their suppliers who sold on Amazon? To, they did not allow them to sell their goods on other websites at lower prices. Which, as soon as you start enforcing what people that work on your site can do elsewhere, that's a problem. So, so I think I don't think the solution for all of this are, is like big, you know, spinoffs or anything like that. It's really just looking at the nuance and determining, really, like on the the deal making, the contracts and like rules level, what are they allowing or enforcing that shouldn't be allowed. Setting aside what we discussed with Apple and Spotify, because I do think, to your point, I do think that Spotify has a, a pretty good case there. Um, but setting that aside, I think another thing that separates 
two of the companies we've talked about from the others, uh, is the issue of privacy. In the case of Facebook, in the case of Google and Android phones, and and sort of the tracking that that goes on, I think that those two companies have to answer, literally have to go up to Capitol Hill and answer tough questions in a way that those questions aren't really being asked, um, nor do they necessarily need to be asked of Amazon or Apple, um, because they don't really have the social media stuff. Yeah, I mean, I think. Privacy is increasingly going to turn into a thorny topic, um, and we see with GDPR in Europe how it helps consumers in some ways, but it also keeps the incumbents strong and it makes it harder for competition, which is the exact opposite of like <laughs> what we're talking about right now that politicians are trying to trying to go after. So I do think that we will um, have to approach that. The other side is, do governments really want to enforce, like? Privacy at the end of the day, because then that takes away their access to information too. Technology, um, you know, it's going to be agnostic to with privacy. It's not going to prioritize some groups over others. Probably like we've seen in China. I don't think that's the way it's going to play out here. Um, so I do think it's going to get thorny and much more political and very annoying. Um, but I do think privacy is the end game, and companies like. Facebook, they're not going to be putting privacy on like their ad business, but when it comes to messaging and stuff like that, that's going to increasingly be the norm. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Question from Ellis Laura. Ellis writes, I wanted to get your thoughts on esports and possible investment ideas. Similar to movies, video games are a hits driven business, and I don't feel confident enough in only investing in a few video game publishers. Would you recommend buying an index, such as Espo or Gamer, or creating a Gamer basket of stocks? Thanks for all the great advice. Um, Espo and Gamer, G-A-M-R, these are uh, ETFs mm-hmm. uh, built around uh, video game uh, companies. Um, just did a quick uh, look on Google Finance, and um, Espo launched last fall. Basically flat, um, and the gamer ETF launched uh, almost exactly three years ago. Today, uh, that ETF up, up about sixty-seven percent over the last three years. So, um, th- I'm curious what you think about this because my sense is that you're bullish on esports in general. Yeah. Um, so I have a couple things to say about this. One, um, you talk about video games being a hit-driven business. I think that is true, but it's actually increasingly less true. Um, I think a lot of companies are finding ways to keep their top franchises generating recurring revenue for longer periods of time. You look at something like Call of Duty, it's been around for 15 years. And you look at things like sports franchises like NBA 2K or FIFA, like those come out every year. So there are there are counterexamples to to this being a hit-driven business. Um, and well, wait, isn't that like maybe we're Splitting hairs here, but I look at that as like, oh yeah, Call of Duty was a hit, and they're going back to that well in the same way that Disney, you know, came out with Iron Man and that worked, and they're like, hey, maybe we can start making these Avenger movies. Okay, yeah, yeah, maybe it was a hit at some point, but I guess I was thinking about it more of like like these one-off hits that that, oh, that come up ever so often, like Candy like, Crush. Yeah, or, King Can- like King Digital comes out with Candy Crush, sure, and or, that's basically the reason to buy that company. Yeah, or like Take Two right now with Red Dead Redemption Two. It made seven hundred million dollars in its first weekend, but what was it doing for like the three years before? 
nothing. Like that was that was a hit, and it drove that that business, um, which I don't necessarily think is bad. Hits are great, but anyways, I, I do think that that we're moving a little further away from a hit-driven business, more to like recurring revenues. Um, some franchises have been around for a long time. Some games continue to do stuff every year. Mobile is even a different beast. Um, I do think that you can do fine with an index or ETF. I looked at the the ones that you threw out. Um, I think Espo is maybe the slightly more interesting one. It has a, a great mix of publishers from all around the world. It's not just a US-centric one, it's a global one. Um, it also has non-publishers like NVIDIA and AMD, which um, I don't know. I have mixed opinions on, um, and the other thing to be aware of is cost, but it doesn't look terrible for this one. Um, so I think that's okay. You can invest in this ETF and do fine. You'll have exposure to the industry, which I think is going to do well. Um, maybe unsurprisingly, I do also think that you can do better by picking individual stocks because then you don't have to also own all the obviously bad companies that get thrown into ETFs too. Um, so. I don't know if people are interested. Maybe I could work yes. on a basket or partner with JMO on on something, <laughs> since since he's the basket king around here. Um, I can work on that. I, I I will kick that basket off today with a couple things that I would right now put in it, and that would be Take Two, which I just mentioned with Red Dead Redemption, um, and Tencent, which is the largest video game company in the world. Those would be the two stocks that I would seed the basket with, but maybe I'll have to to work on the rest. Uh, is part of your picking those two the fact that they're kind of beaten down over the past year? Well, they're they're certainly cheaper than they were. They certainly are, but I think that goes for pretty much every video game <laughs> company right now. Um, I, I think Take Two to me stands out above Activision and EA in particular right now um, because they are breaking records. They're laying a clear foundation for growth, and they're operating with a little drama. You can't really say the same thing for Activision. I was and just going right to say. I mean, just the the stories I read about Activision Blizzard and executives leaving that company and going to start their own businesses. It just seems like say what you want about Take Two Interactive's performance over the past year. They don't appear to have a talent problem. No, they're they're doing everything right, in my opinion. I do think the other video game companies will bounce back too, but Take Two. Doesn't have as many difficulties to work through, even though they've been beaten down just as hard. Um, Tencent, I mean, they're the largest video game company in the world. They're the largest video game company in China, um, and I think that's that's powerful. And also, if you look at at what's been going on in China over the past year, video games, the, the government put a freeze on new game approvals. That's obviously something that's going to go away over time, and they're poised to be the number one beneficiary. When that happens, also if any of these other companies want to bring their games to China, they're probably going to partner with Tencent in order to do it. Um, so Tencent is very well positioned in video games, and they just have a ton of other stuff going on, like WeChat and all the other investments that they've made. So I feel very good about these two. They're very two different businesses, but this is what I would seed my basket with. Didn't Tencent spin off their music to its uh, a separate IPO? They, I thought they did that last year. They did that with music, and they actually did it with China Literature, which is like a like a ebook service. Do you think they would do that with their video game division? No, because I think one thing that people don't realize is one of the the largest synergies that they have between the gaming business and their um, social media business is that they can advertise their games 
in social media. Um, also, I don't think they're looking to raise that much money because um, it is a good business. Unlike some of these other companies that they spin off in order to raise money that's separate from Tencent's core balance sheet, you know. So I doubt that'll happen. It's too too core for them. Aaron Bush, thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me, as always. People on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.